Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I have so much to tell you. <clears throat> and yet, somehow in the thinking Eileen shared this morning in our um, in our pre-service huddle about, you know, when we're trying to get some fresh word from God and we're striving. You didn't know it, Eileen, but that's what I'm talking about a little bit today. But I think that a lot of times what God wants us to, to, to really dive into or what the revelation he wants to give us is obviously right there in front of us. And I was really striving when Josh said, hey, I want you to grab a hold of one of these messages in this series of I have so much to tell you because he knows I like to talk, don't you? Um, and I just went and I was just looking and looking and it took me weeks. And finally, last Saturday night, I said, I, I, I'm going to preach. And so I think he was still scared to say it on Sunday because I kept backing forth. And, and I don't know, I don't know. And it had been there all along. And so God spoke a word to me at the beginning of this year, my word, if you will. And I didn't really love it. And then, because um, sometimes we don't, didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And then, of course, that's what he has me in today. We're in John 15. But before that, I want to share a story with you that I don't think I've ever shared um, in a public space before. Uh, and it's kind of, I say it's funny, but it's my salvation story. And for those of you who know me, um, I grew up born and raised. If these were pews, I'd say I, you know, broken my teeth on the back of those pews. They're not, they're cloth seats and that's disgusting. But I did grow up in this church. I was um, part of this church family since I basically can remember. And when Life Christian Center, way back in 1980, decided that they were going to open up a school. Of course, my parents said, we're going to send our girl there. Well, we were living in Farmington. I was not born on a farm, but I'm a farm girl at heart. And we move up to this, you know, the city life. And my mom gets a job at the school, which is what every kid probably wants for your mom to work at the school. <clears throat> And I was um, a firstborn, the only child for nine blissful years until they all started coming one by one by one. I love them all dearly. No, but this was a different time for me. This was, I was an only child and I was um, very, very close to my parents and, you know, just their little third wheel that went everywhere. So my mom gets a job at the school and enrolls me in preschool. She had no idea what she was getting herself into. She puts four-year-old little Tori in this classroom, and her, her office is just down the hall. And do you know that I would bust out of that classroom every day and go take off down those halls and get to my mom? I thought, I do not belong here. <laughs> no offense to you, Miss Wiseman, but no thanks. This isn't where I say with my mom, I am not staying in this classroom. So they would catch me and I would, you know, run out of the classroom and, and go down there. And I got so far as to say, and if I had a picture of it, it would do your heart good today to see that I decided at four, I was going to charm this teacher and I got my hair cut just like her. It was the worst haircut of all time. This little bob and these things came up on the end. And I thought if I can't, you know, if I can't overcome this lady, maybe I'll charm her into thinking that she should open this door and let me get to my mother. And so that went on all of 
K-4 all of my preschool year. And then I got into kindergarten. And kindergarten is a little bit of a different story. You kind of need to be in the room to learn and, um, and be in school. And so I got to that classroom, and I had a teacher named Mrs. Davenport, who was here last week. It happens to be Josh's aunt as well. Like I said, we're real close. This is an arranged marriage kind of situation, but that's another message. <clears throat> and so Miss Davenport was a sweet, kind woman and very caring and, and loving. And so in her classroom, I started to feel a little more at ease, a little, little bit more like, I think I can do this. And one, I don't know, let's say it was a Tuesday afternoon when they made you lay on those mats for nap time, which in and of itself is a miracle. Can you even get kids to do that? I feel like, no, no, that doesn't even happen anymore. But they did, and we were all laying there, quiet in our own space. And at five years old, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I just said the, the simplest prayer. Jesus, will you come in my heart? And I have for many years felt, I remember when we went to Bible school and it was like, you know, you had these people with these testimonies where they had come out of some life of sin and, and shame and, you know, ran for all these years and then they came to this point. And all I had was this little story of a mat in a classroom. And a little girl saying, Jesus, will you come in my heart? But as I've gotten older and, and begin to understand the beauty of that, and, you know, it doesn't make me, maybe, it doesn't make my story any different. I still needed to be saved. Let me tell you something. For the rest of my 42 years since, I've still been trying to run. It's still this thing in me. I know it's a lot for it to say for a four-year-old kid, but I knew that I knew better than Miss Wiseman. I knew it. And sometimes I still find myself in that same place. I need to get out of here because I know better. And it's not really that different probably from your story. However, we come to that moment of asking Jesus to be Lord of our life is precious and important and will carry us through every single day after. And so I just wanted to remind you that your story matters, that how you got to Jesus or how you're going to get to him today is so vitally important. And whether you think it was just some tiny little thing, decision you made at five years old, it has weight and it matters. And so we're going to start today. I was going to ask Othello to read all the verses because I got accused of being Pastor Rick today. It's not often that that happens, but apparently whenever I gave them my scriptures, they're like, we're going through all those? Yeah, we are. No, but it's, it's a large chunk of scripture, but we're going to break it down. But it's John 15, 1 through 17. And I just like Othello's voice. And if you ever call emergency and he's the dispatcher, you're going to feel calm and, and just like at ease. Othello's got you. So I'm not going to make you read it. But I, I did think about it. And I thought, oh, I wonder if he'll be here today. And you were. And I was real tempted. But then they started that song. And it was forget it. So... We'll start right where we should in verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. 
And now I want to go to five. And it says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. First and foremost, in this verse, or in this text, in this chapter, Jesus, this is red letters, this is him saying, hey, disciples, I got to talk to you about this. I have so much to tell you before I go. And he establishes who is who. Jesus is the vine. God, our Father, is the, the great gardener who cares for us. And we are the branches. And the title of my message today is simply called A Branch Without a Chance. Why did Jesus, in this night, which they believed to be after they had had this last supper and washed feet and done all this stuff, why did he come to this point and want to have this conversation with the disciples and talk about vines? Because if someone honestly came to me today, said, hey, I want to kind of explain something to you, and I'm going to use a, a vine or any plant of any sort to explain it, I'd be like, Got anything else? <laughs> we talk about something else because that makes no sense to me, but it was important and vital and understood by the disciples. The Old Testament that they would read all the time, the nation of Israel was likened to the vine. They knew what this was. It was even on their coins. They understood a vine. And Jesus was using something very familiar to teach them something very important. In verse 4, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. We see the purpose of, of us, this branch, is to serve basically as a vehicle for which the vine expresses itself. The branch bears the fruit which the vine produces. Now, I'm going somewhere. Don't get bored yet in all this vine talk, okay? Because I'm telling you, it's going to get really good. But this question of, why am I here? What is my purpose? Do you know how many times that Pastor Josh and I, or any, probably one of you, have heard someone ask that question? What am I do? What's the purpose of any of it? What am I even doing here? It's all right here, and I'm about to tell you a little bit about it. Human meaning finds its fulfillment. How? In relationship to God, that's how we were made. And I know, you come to church, you know, we know, we know this. But I want to get past the knowingness and really see it come to life. When people are not fulfilling their purpose, how many times have we seen this? They feel cut off. They start blaming. They feel isolated and alone and they don't understand what's wrong with me and it's are you are you in him are you remaining in him because without Christ you're just a branch without a chance I'm gonna keep saying it so whenever I first was putting this together on paper, well, look, I don't use paper anymore because I don't know if you know, but last time I preached, I had it all in a notebook and it got stolen. So I don't usually trust the cloud, but that cloud, <laughs> I knew no matter what today, if, the, if it was gone, this computer's gone, I could pull it down from Anna's phone or Josh's phone somehow. So when I started laying it out, 
I felt like God was giving me all these peas and I, I don't like that stuff. I don't like like, okay, now this point and we're going to make this point, but it kept coming up in peas and you'll hear them. You'll hear them all come out by the end. But the first one, and that's not by my choosing, but the first one is pruning. God, he just starts this. And first thing he says in verse two, he cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now, if you've been a Christian for longer than a month, you probably know this, that pruning stuff. I'm not preaching a message on pruning, but it's so vitally important. And like I said, I didn't mention at the beginning of this, the word that God gave me at the beginning of this year is fruit and fruitfulness. And I didn't understand it. And I don't, I'm still working through the process of what all that looks like. But I have what you would call a black thumb. <laughs> you give me a plant and I'm going to kill it. I'm going to give it to Amy. I'm going to give it to Eileen. I, I just, I'm going to give it to my daughter, Ansley. They're going to die with me. And so the whole thought of, of, I mean, we've had one, I think, tree in our life that produced fruit. And um, it was a peach tree. And I don't think I should probably talk about that beloved peach tree because something really bad happened to it last year. Probably I'm to blame, but we won't go there. Pruning, it hurts. You know this. And, and so many times in our Christian life, we, we, we ask God, why, why'd you cut that? We get it. You got to cut off the sin. You got to cut off the fear. You got to cut, cut off all that bad stuff. Cut off all the things that I, that I was. Clip it all off. Make me more like you. But what about, it says right here, he prunes the branches that are bearing fruit. God, I thought that was good. I I really thought I would be friends with them forever. I thought that that dream you gave me, and he's over there gently and kindly pruning, which that word means literally shearing off of your life. And to trust him, we have to abide in him. But there's something else in this this verse that I have always skipped over. And I'm going to read this to you first. It's a book called Secrets of the Vine. And this author tells about moving to the country one spring. The fence that he shared with his neighbor had a large grapevine on it. And he and his family were looking forward to enjoying some nice grapes that fall. But a few days after moving in, he noticed the neighbor out there hacking away at the vine with some large shears. He was worried that his neighbor was going to kill the vine. Trying to be diplomatic, he walked over and asked the neighbor, you don't like grapes, I guess? Love grapes, he replied. Bruce tried to express his hopes that they could share some of the grapes, but the confusion and disappointment over what the neighbor was doing was obvious. After observing that he was a city boy and surmising that he didn't know much about the grapes at all, the neighbor explained, well, son, we can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes, and you and your family will be astounded. We just can't have both. He knew that to bear good fruit, the vine had to be pruned. 
Sometimes, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but sometimes we mistake the leaves, the showy things, the things that just flow in the wind and are so pretty as the fruit, and they're not. And they look good. Man, they, we all want a life that looks really good. If you say you don't, I don't believe you because I know that I want that. I want you to look at me and think, man, she's got a good life. And yeah, some of that is because I want you to see Jesus in me, but some of that is genuinely because I want to look like I have a good life. If we can't be honest up here, Josh, then what's the point, right? But what about this other statement that is made? It says, here, I'll read it again. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And when you hear that, he cuts it off immediately. I just have always in my mind had this picture that pruning and cutting off is the same thing, right? I mean, sounds the same, and he's cutting off. And somehow, in, I went through and I looked at all these words after I settled on this verse, and I said, God, there, what is this word? Cuts off. And the Greek word, some say taketh away, some say removed, but the Greek word is aro. was good, wasn't it? It can also be translated, listen, to raise up, to elevate, to lift up. This term, when used in this picture of a vine and its branch is very, very important. Listen, from a journal of a life of a gardener, again, it's not me, but a bunch of stuff that I was researching. It says there are long, long hours spent walking in the vineyards, tending the grapes, watching the fruit develop. They're waiting. These gardeners are waiting for the perfect day to begin harvest. And they say this, new branches have a natural tendency to trail down and grow along the ground, but they don't bear fruit down there. When the branches grow along the ground, the leaves get coated in dust. When it rains, they get muddy and mildewed and the branch becomes sick and useless. So what do you do? What do you do? You cut it off and throw it away. Absolutely not, this gardener says. The branch is much too valuable for that. We go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for those branches. We lift them up and wash them off. And then we wrap them around the trellis and tie them up and pretty soon they're thriving. Have you ever thought that all those times that you think, God, this thing, this thing that I thought that you wanted me to do or this gift that I know you've given me, it feels dead. And I know you're just going to cut it off and that's going to be the end of that. And maybe, maybe just like his word says when he says he cuts off everything that's not bearing fruit, he says, hey, I see that. I remember that that's important to you, that that thing you're praying for, but it's growing real low and it's getting dirty and mildewed. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and cleanse it and wash it off and lift it up and reattach it back where it belongs so that it can bear fruit. And man, if that doesn't just give you a picture of this gardener, this father who loves you so deeply, so intimately to walk through that garden day in, day, day out and thinking, I can't wait for this harvest. I can't wait for all that's going to happen. But first, I'm going to lift this up and I'm going to cut that off to make it so it will be the most beautiful harvest that you could ever imagine.
The next P in verse 5 is producing. Verse 5 says this, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so today's just, let's just have a confessional all service. I am a producer, not a music producer. I wish. But look, the truth of my nature, the way that my brain works, the way that I in my fallen state want to be is I want to make something and show it to you. I like to do that. Look, I made this. Isn't this cool? Look, I, I just, I create, I came up with that. I created it. I produced it. And so a lot of times for me, this, this verse, you're going to produce much fruit. It feels like a little bit of pressure, pressure that don't get me wrong. I like, oh God, okay. You tell me I'm going to produce something. Wait till you see what I can make. It's going to be so good. And I wanted, I wanted to find this word and, and find it to mean like, I don't know, like you just like kind of lay there and then God makes it. And then I could rest in that and that'd be all done. Or, you know, you produce it and it means that your, your special hands and mind are the ones that create this kind of fruit. It's not what we came to, but maybe this word, Pharaoh, again, I really practiced, is so important if we listen. First of all, we have to keep our priority in place and abide in him. But this word produce, some of them say bear, some of them say bring forth. Pharaoh is to carry, and I struggle with this part, to bear with oneself like to carry a burden. What does that even mean? What in the world? Well, if we come back to what it says to abide in him and we're this vine and or we're the branch, see, I still get it mixed up. We're the branch and he's the vine and he's the one actually producing and creating and making this fruit. And what are we called to do? Carry it. We carry it. And I can find rest in that. That I don't have to make something, I don't have to, to make it be the coolest new thing but I get to carry it. And I just want to remind you, friends, today that you can, whether you think you can or not, you can hold what he's given you. Whatever it is today in your life, you have the strength and the ability, you're connected to that vine, and you can hold that calling to carry and bear fruit. You can carry it. It's not hard or heavy or exhausting, but I do want to ask you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Have you ever been burned out? Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, I love this scripture so much and how it comes alive in the Message Bible. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. His burden is light. Yes, we're called to carry and bear it. But what, what does the fruit look like, right? I, I want to know details. I, I need, I, I live, live in a place of asking a lot of questions, mostly aimed at Josh. But what is it, what does it cost? And what is it going to look like? And how long is it going to take to get there? He didn't need the four kids to do that. He's got me. And I want to know, God, what does it look like? What does fruit actually look like? I mean, I know what it looks like at the store, at different stores. I know what it looks like at Aldi, and I know what it looks like at Whole Foods, and I know what it looks like in nature, and I don't know what the fruit looks like in the Philippines where Anna lives, but I want to, but it's different, and what does fruit actually look like? And oh, I was so challenged. This is the beginning of the year, and I heard this, and I was like, this is, look, I'm telling you my elementary salvation story, and really all of this is elementary, and we got to remember that that is how Jesus teaches us, is by the basic things. What does fruit look like? Galatians 5, through 23 says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is your life bearing fruit? It's such a simple exam for you today. Are you are you having peace in the midst of a storm? Are you giving a gentle answer when, man, you're frustrated? Are you staying the course? Are you hanging in there? Are you loving people that are really, really hard to love? This is bearing fruit. And I don't know how many times, and I don't want to look back and try to figure out how much that I have held in my feeble little hands genetically modified fake stuff to offer not only to you, but to God himself. And I say, oh, but it would be so pretty if it was this color and it could look like this and I know I could produce this. And God is saying, are you loving people? Do you feel my peace when you're all wrapped up in anxiety in your mind? That's the fruit I'm looking for. Don't give me that stuff that doesn't taste right. Don't give me that stuff that isn't in season. That's not what he wants from us. And my goodness, you can go to the store today and buy the biggest strawberry that you've ever seen. And you bite into that thing and it literally tastes like nothing nothing. And I'll never forget whenever I bought, I thought it would be fun, and I bought mangoes for my kids to eat. This was years and years ago. And I, it was just a day they were all home, and you know, we don't really grow mangoes here in the United States, but I had had them in Costa Rica. And so I bought them, and I was like, oh, this will be fun. We'll have this for breakfast. And so I went out in the garage for a minute. I was finding pictures from my trip of Costa Rica. And I come back in. I was like, I brought these mangoes, and um, we're going to cut them open. I got these, and we're going to eat them for breakfast. And I go to feed them to the kids, and they all were like, oh, my gosh, this is disgusting. Like, did you just get them out of the garage from that trip? You packed them, like, in something? And I laughed. I told Anna, I said, my kids can't experience what it is like to eat a mango in the United States because this isn't where they're grown. (laughs) 
This isn't the season for them. And I went off real easily to the grocery store and said, I'll pick that up right there and that'll be just fine. Maybe it was picked whenever it was neon green and then it's supposed to turn orange and all that. And it's not the process that he made it to be. And how many, oh, crates and crates of fruit have I modified and altered and brought before my king and said, look what I did. I worked so hard. I tried to do all the things. And he said, all that I wanted from you was love and joy and peace, a little more patience. And it was asked in this thing that I saw at the beginning of the year, how do you know? How do you know if your dream is your dream or God's dream? And the answer again is so simple. Is it producing love, joy, peace, patience? Are you anxious every day? Wondering if you got it together, if it's all gonna be okay? Then maybe not. Our life is to produce the fruit of the spirit. And without Christ, what are we? We're just a branch without a chance. And friends, listen, no, I don't care how amazing. I think this is the most amazing church in the world. There's a lot of people that I listen to that I love and respect and, and just to feed my soul. But it doesn't matter how good of a church, it doesn't matter how good of people, if we're not reminding you, which I'm about to do, that you, you, each and every one of you have to be intimately connected to the vine or this is no good for nothing. Nothing. What's the point of walking in these doors every Sunday morning if you are not connected to the vine? The more that we allow the Holy Spirit, that free reign in our lives, the more his fruit is evident. Jesus told his followers in verse 16, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Righteous fruit has eternal benefits. And I love this. I wrote down, staying intimately connected to the true vine is the only way to bear fruit in old age. Psalm 92, 14. And to run and not grow weary. Isaiah 40, 31 and to not grow weary in well-doing, Galatians 6, 9. Why does he say any of this to us? We're going, we're moving down these verses. In verse 9, it says this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Listen, this is the key. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Josh talked about this a few weeks ago. When our joy, when the source of our joy comes from him, there's not a thing, a situation, a person, a bad day that can take that joy away. And you, we, we live our Christian lives sometimes thinking about the pruning and the suffering and the sacrifice and all the things. But it says right here, I'm telling you this so your life will overflow with joy. I want you to have so much fruit 
in your vineyard that you are laughing about it, that it is hilarious, that there's so much joy that you cannot contain it for yourself. Don't forget that part of who our God is. He cares. He's not, he's not this, this God where he, he just wants you to be happy. You know, I see so many parents, especially where we are right now in these years, like, I just want my kids to be happy. I don't. Sorry. I, I don't. I just want them to love Jesus, and I just want them to live fulfilled, and I want them not to lay in bed every night and wonder, what is the purpose of life? Joy does so much more than that. Joy fills us to overflowing where we say, oh, I feel really good about today because I know it wasn't exactly as I planned, but I felt that love come out of me in a way I haven't before. And oh, I feel peace. Even whenever I'm so stressed out, I feel it. God, I am so happy. Your joy is so real and it overflows in my life. And he says, that's what I want for you. You stay in me. And let me do my part. You remember you're just that branch that didn't have a chance until I brought you in. And you will feel joy that will overflow in everything that you do. The next P, there are two Ps, is priority and purpose. This is our Christian priority. Look, you wonder what am I supposed to be doing? What's supposed to be first? What's my purpose in life? It says right here, to abide in Christ. John likes this word, abide. He uses the term meno over 50 times in his writings, 11 times in this chapter alone. What does it mean? It means not to depart, to continue, to be present, and listen to this, to be held, kept continually. And I'm just going to have a little honest moment with you right now and tell you, some of y'all ain't making it very easy to be held. You ever see those kids or those teenagers that you're trying to hug them in their bodies or just like doing all that? It's, it's our nature. We, we don't feel worthy of it to, for someone to love us and keep us and hold us tightly, continually. We're like that little four-year-old Tori. I'm out of here. I'm going to find my way down that hall because I know better than you do that I need my mom. And God is saying, let me, let me keep you and hold you. Remaining in his love and not straying from it, not for the sake of fear, insecurity, or what we've always done. Romans 8, 17, 18 Listen, how did we even get here? How did we get the chance, the privilege, the honor, the joy of being called one of his? Because you know, you know where you were when he found you. You know what the history of your life looks like. How do we get there? And this scripture tells us this. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. It's true. It's sad. It's, it's, oh, it breaks my heart whenever people turn away from the faith. But it says, and you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been, listen to me, grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing that God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. 
but you not, must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch and not the root. The New King James Version says, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Without this grafting in, you are just a branch without a chance. Now listen, we're going to just take a little science lesson. Josh said I'm a homeschool teacher, and I, when I saw this, oh, it did a million things to me, but I already feel emotional about it. But listen, what does it mean to be grafted? This definition of grafting is this. The basic technique in grafting consists of placing cambial tissues of stock and scion, don't worry, do not have to know these words later on a test, in intimate association so that the resulting callus tissue produced from stock and scion interlocks to form a living continuous connection. Okay, it's fine, maybe that one right over your head, but listen. Do you know <laughs> that the vine has to be cut for the branch to be grafted in? I'm sorry. I, you can put up that slide. The soft inner parts of both the vine and the branch have to have intimate connection in order for the life to flow through the branch. Look, this is my illustration, and I cited my sources. It is titled Vine Grafting, Original Vintage, 1950s Educational Poster, School Wall Art Chart, Botanical Print Biology, Wine Viticulture, Vinery Grapes Plant Guide. I think those are just keywords. It's $109.60 on Etsy. I think it's on sale today if you want to purchase it. It's an old... Um, it's an old chart, but if you just will look at that with me and see what I see. So this first one here, there's Jesus, and you see that razor is cutting him. And there we are, just this happy little fresh branch, and they're slicing into the inner core of that vine. And then they take it and they interlock it together, and oh... Look what happens in P, right there where they, they wrap it up. And it reminded me of that old song that says, Lord, bind my wandering heart to thee. The life comes. Sometimes, man, we can be rowdy vines or rowdy branches and try to work our way out or, or the wind comes and, and things happen, but look what they do. They wrap it around and they hold it there because Jesus knows you're going to need a little bit of support. But when I saw that picture that, oh, and all I could think about this morning when we're talking about communion, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced and bruised so that we could be grafted in and given life. If that doesn't get you today, maybe we don't understand the depth of that. That his wounds made a way for us to be alive and part of that vine. 
Psalm 119.10, and they amplified, it says this, with all my heart I have sought you, inquiring of you and longing for you. Do not let me wander from your commandments, neither through ignorance nor by willful disobedience. Friends, he has made a way for you to have a full life. He's, he's opened up those soft parts of himself and said, come, let's have intimate connection. And our gardener will bind us together and we will grow and I'll make beautiful things out of your life. And all you have to do is trust me and stay with me and carry what I've called you to. And there's another P. And I think it's my last one. It wouldn't be like Jesus if this last P wasn't people. But in verse 12, it says this. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So we've gone through all these P's, position, pruning, producing, priority, our purpose. And now Jesus says, don't forget about the people. It's generally agreed that Christ's discourse in this and the next chapter was at the close of the Last Supper, the night in which he would be betrayed by Judas. And yet his command is, hey, don't forget in all of this, we're going to stick together, we're going to do great things, love each other well. That's not lost on me, and I hope that it's not on you either. Is it hard to love people? Yeah, it is. Did Jesus really understand that? Oh, I'm afraid far more than any of us could ever know. For that very same night, someone who had been with him and he had loved, he had just washed his feet, gave him up to be murdered. And still he says, this is my commandment. Love one another. And in all of this, he says all these things. He says, he says to produce and he says to abide and to remain and all that. He's saying, this is, this is what I'm inviting you to. But then he does have a commandment here of obedience, one that he's calling us to and saying, I command that you will love each other. I think that that's strong. I think that it's bold. I think that it matters, especially when we consider where he was in this moment. And friends, he didn't just <laughs> invite you to some party. Have you guys ever been invited to a party where maybe it's a shower or, or just, a, just a party where you're invited by the host, but then you get there and literally say like two words the entire night to the person who's hosting the party and you're the whole time there like awkward, like do I even belong here? Why am I here? What, what should I do? I feel really weird. Do I talk to them? And sometimes maybe you make a connection. Probably a lot of times we don't. 
But this isn't, this isn't Jesus's game. Hey, I'm having this feast, this big party. There's all this, we're having this homecoming. Come and be part of it. And you'll just be honored that you got invited by me, but I'll just wave at you as you pass by. And hi, how's it going? Glad you could make it tonight. No way. He has opened himself by wounds and spear side and said, come on in. You, who you are, gets to be as intimate and close in the soft parts, the vital soft parts of me. And guys, that's not always a party. <laughs> it's not. It's life it is the growing pains of life and all the things that that means sometimes can get to be a lot. But don't, don't forget that he is inviting you into a space of not just hanging out with Jesus, but to literally abide and remain in him. We all naturally look to be accepted, validated, for our lives to make a difference. Nobody wants to die and have people show up at your funeral and say, well, kind of nice guy, I mean cut his yard really nice and, you know, drove a really cool truck. Nobody wants that. You want the room to be full and for people to say, man, if, if that person hadn't lived, I don't know where I'd be. They brought me out of this and they loved me through this. This is the things that we want for our life. But sometimes we get so caught up in forcing that. We get so busy working for God that we forget that he's the one. He's the one that produces this fruit. And all we got to do is just have joy, abide in him, and walk around and carry what he's called us to. It's too simple. It's too easy. And we complicate it. We make it hard because why would a God who created the heavens and the earth have a plan like that for you and I? Because he loves us. Because he wants your burden to be light because he wants to lift you up when you're growing along the ground. And when you think you've got it all and all your leaves are showing and everything's great, he wants to come alongside you and be like, I know this looks really good right now, but man, what I want for you is so much more. Will you just stay with me while I do this? Romans 11, 16 through 18 says this in the message. Behind and underneath all this, there is a holy, God-planted, God-tended root. If the primary root of the tree is holy, there's bound to be some holy fruit. Some of the tree's branches were pruned, and you wild olive shoots were grafted in. Yet the fact that you are now fed by that rich and holy root gives you no cause to gloat over the pruned branches. Remember, you aren't feeding the root the root is feeding you. Will you stand up with me today? We covered a lot of stuff. We talked about our position. You are the branch. We talked about pruning and it's worth the pain producing. We can do nothing, nothing without Christ. Our priority and our purpose is to remain held in him. And then those people, we got to love each other no matter what. And in John 15... Verse 15, it says this, 
I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything that the Father told me. Oh, listen, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. You guys, lasting fruit comes from loving God deeply and loving other people deeply. And I know it sounds so basic and elementary and little four-year-old Tori probably could have made sense of that, but I didn't. Somehow I still ran. Somehow I still complicated life. Somehow I still sometimes do. Everything is going to work out in your life. It is. No matter what it looks like right now, no matter what you think should have happened by now or didn't happen and hurts sometimes to look at, listen to me, everything is going to work out in your life according to his, his plan. And, and there's so much weight to be taken off in that and say, God, I thought I knew. I thought I knew what it meant to produce something, to, to sh- have something to show for my life. I'm going to set up a, a stand at the farmer's market and say, look at all this. But God comes by and he says, this doesn't taste good. Oh, there's so much more that you could do. Will you just trust me? And together we can make the finest fruits that taste right, that nourish people, that, that bring them to my glory. And I just got to remind you, and I'm going to keep reminding myself that without him, I'm just a branch without a single chance. Can I pray for you today? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.